0: When it comes to self development, no matter the method you use, the vital point is to practice. If you're ready to transform your life and claim the potential inside of you, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Vital Point. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm a psychedelic integration and transformation coach, breathwork facilitator, and an enthusiast of personal growth. You have the capacity to evolve and bring your intentions and dreams into the world, and there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities. That can help you on your journey. This podcast will help you learn simple methods you can use to transform your life and share the stories of practitioners who are doing the work so that you feel inspired to go and practice, because that's the vital point. My guest today is a wonderful breathwork facilitator, Steph Magenta, and just calling her uh, a breathwork facilitator I don't think does her justice. She's a breathwork trainer, co-founder, and lead teacher at Integrative Breath. A certified alchemy of breath, uh, breathwork facilitator, shamanic practitioner, licensed body worker. She does Reiki, cold exposure. She's also a successful entrepreneur, having established several successful businesses in the uh, health and well being sector. And I want to include this as well because I remember she um, added this in last time we spoke. She's also a mother of three grown up, very awesome children. So, <laughs> uh Steph welcome back to the podcast it's so great to be talking with you again
1: oh thank you Jonathan a pleasure to be here again and thank you for bringing my beautiful kids back in (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely um yeah it was the if if you're new to the podcast um Steph and I spoke about a year ago I believe it was episode 17 and we're uh, somewhere in the 60s at at this point, so it's um it's been a, a little bit of a journey and some time since we've spoke, um but it's so great to have you back again and I went back and re-listened to our conversation, which um was just so lovely, I think is the word that I wanted to use, um and I I put myself back in the space that I was in recording that and I. I remember feeling very grateful um, that you agreed to talk with me. I remember feeling like I was um, maybe shooting outside of my comfort zone by asking you, you know, I thought, (laughs) Oh, you know, Steph is so um, established. She has such a big presence on the web and in the breathwork community. And um, you know, I'm just going to ask and not be disappointed if she says no. And I was just so overjoyed and grateful that you um, were were willing to talk and share such a beautiful conversation. So thank you again for being here.
1: Oh, bless you. Thank you. It's my pleasure talking about all things breath related. And and ironically, I've had that very experience myself today where something that i dared to ask for has come true and i've gone well who knew if you don't ask it's not going to appear and if you ask you can risk a no anyway thank you for those kind words
0: yeah and that's you know that's i think that's such a good place maybe to dive in is just having that um that courage to be willing to ask those questions to be vulnerable and and to be risky and Mm -hmm. it doesn't always feel good right
1: no it really doesn't and and you know the more i do this work and the older i get the more i realize that actually um much of the answers to the things that we're seeking is that willingness to become vulnerable once again to to because because most of us have developed these um strategies or armorings known or unknown conscious or subconscious to keep us safe from feeling vulnerable again because that feels threatening or scary so we're already talking about nervous system, which is the foundation of our work. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that's such an important point, right? Because it really does zero in on the importance of the nervous system and how, at the end of the day, we're just trying to feel safe. Yeah. Right? Um, I was saying this yesterday working you know, at the treatment center. And people were, you know, I took them through a breathwork session. And then there were there were some questions and, you know, I, I just kind of paused and said, you know, everything that's happening, it just comes down to the nervous system feeling safe, you know, and this, through this practice, you're able to demonstrate to the nervous system, oh, I can do more than I thought I could.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And everything that you're going through makes sense from that position of the nervous system just wanting to be safe so we do all these things right or we don't do these things um to to try to continue that safety and maybe not have awareness of it but at the end of the day it's like so much of this just boils down to wanting to feel safe
1: yeah wanting to feel safe wanting a sense of belonging wanting a sense of connection you know, I mean, who doesn't want to be loved and validated and seen and supported in in the exactly as they are, because we're all at various stages on that journey. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. And then suddenly you find that you're going four steps forward and maybe just one step back by doing the work. Or as you said, the vital point about it all is the practice. And that's what helps us build resilience. That's what helps us become more able to enter into those states of vulnerability because we know how to resource ourselves first and foremost yeah. but not from that defended place of like huh you've just got to do it all by yourself or i may as well get on with m- myself or nobody's there when you really need them you know those kind of kind of faulty beliefs that we've picked up along the way but understandable ones uh by the way just to acknowledge that but yeah exactly
0: yeah so i i'm curious um what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast and saying, and like being at the very, very beginning of that journey of like, well, everything that you're saying seems really overwhelming because I know last time we we talked about some of your experience and the journey that your life has taken you. And, um, it's so inspirational. Like you've, you've come really, really far, you know, (laughs) you, you spoke about your, you know, being an addiction and, and kind of overcoming that and and stepping into your purpose and Mm -hmm. um i i think it's interesting to maybe think about that first step because so many people are trying to take that first step like what, what what would you say to that person
1: i mean what a great question and and it's quite a difficult one to answer because um i know that when i was considering making first steps, it wasn't like a really conscious belief of or desire to go, oh, you know, I think I need to do some healing work or some inner work or anything like that. It came from desperation. It came from the terrible dark feelings of emerging from addiction and then being completely exposed to this world that obviously the addiction has been the self-soothing mechanism in the first place. So suddenly all those things are like, you know, there's a physical vulnerability, there's a mental emotional vulnerability. So and at the same time, that's almost the compulsion. That's the place where it's like, I don't feel good. I'm either going to default back to addictive patterns and behaviors, or I'm going to try and find some way of finding something that gives me comfort. So I would say, start small and don't think about where it is, you're gonna, you know, it's like if, you, if you've if you got to climb Everest, you put one foot in front of the other, you don't look at the peak and think, oh oh my God, no, that's too big, that's too far, I'll never get there. Or if you do, you probably wouldn't even start. So it, it's like, I think really my my only advice is to to just honor yourself where you are, to feel all the feelings, be willing to feel them, to get the support to help you navigate them. And, and to um, to just be honest with yourself about what it is, you know, because as I say, oftentimes it comes from that desperation, just not to feel that way anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And the other thing that that's coming up, or you know, sort of maybe another way to say that desperation is is surrender, you know, mm-hmm. just being willing to to give up and say, like, I can't do this anymore, there's got to be a different way. Um, And I can certainly relate to that in my own journey as well, where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, for me, that was the turning point. So rather than it being the choice point, it was the turning point of, you know, that surrender was the desperation of, I can't do this anymore, I really can't. And then most people will have that moment of realization, you know, you, you could call it the, the, initial awakening on, on some level or another, where they're like, I'm either going to be dead, very, very sick, or, you know, I don't know, something terrible is going to happen that I, I need to sort this out. I got to find a way out. And I can, I can remember when that moment was for me and I had many smaller moments like that beforehand, but the addiction was stronger than the desperation or the addiction was stronger than the sense of total surrender. But I I do remember that final point of absolute surrender where I just went, I just can't do this anymore. And then it's just, it is that tiny step, that tiny step of like going, well, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. And I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe if I had known, I wouldn't have done it, you know, because there's a lot of painful stuff to navigate as you know, you know, but <laughs> the beauty, the joy, the prize, the gift at the end, you know, the hero's journey that the treasure that you seek that comes to find you just in that willingness to be in that place of surrender and to make the changes is so worth it
0: you're so right and i'm i'm only laughing because <laughs> i th- what you're saying feels really alive to me lately um you know i think we're we're acknowledging the challenges and and you, the way that you put it you know taking two steps forward and Three or four steps back sometimes, and yet it's so important to say that it's always worth it. Like I've never you know, even in those really dark moments where I'm like, oh why did I why did I start this? You know it's like, nope, I, this is still so much better than where I was before. And yet there is sort of this humor um, in acknowledging that challenge. I've been, um, I've been reading uh, The Wisdom of No Escape by Pema Chodron uh, as part of this program that I'm doing. And I came upon this story in there that I literally just made me, every time I think about it, I just laugh and laugh and laugh. And it's this story about this woman, uh, this rich woman that says, I, I, want, I want enlightenment. And she starts searching for enlightenment and asking people, how do I get enlightened? And she finds this man that says, well, if you go up to the top of this mountain, there's this, you know, uh, sage, you know, this woman with wisdom and she'll teach you how to, you know, become enlightened. So the woman says, okay, I'm going to do that. And she finally, you know, she makes her way through the mountains and finally finds this cave and goes into this cave. And there's this beautiful, graceful, you know, woman all wearing all white. And she prostrates at her and says, teach me, you know, I want, I want enlightenment. And the woman says, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And she says, yes, of course. Like, I want to know. And the way that it says in the book is, and the woman turns around and turns into this demon with this giant stick and starts chasing her saying, now, now, now. (laughs) And for the rest of her life, there's this demon chasing her just saying, now, now, now. (laughs) And it's just such a funny, um, you know, metaphor for this journey. to me because you know it's like yeah once you start you can't exactly stop you know you're just in the now Mm. and um it it makes me laugh and i think it's relatable and yet like we're saying it's it's totally worth it
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i love that story because um you know there is a tendency to think that maybe that kind of state of perceived enlightenment is is something that is just like handed to us. We make a decision. We do, we do the surrender. We make a decision. Oh, and here it is. And, you know, honestly, Jonathan, I am still learning about myself every single day. I'm still learning about where my shadows are. I'm still learning about what triggers me. But I've got more skills and more resilience and more capacity to actually recognize that now and go, oh there's that place that feels a little unsafe. How are we gonna be with this? Typically, we're gonna breathe into it. We're gonna sleep on it. We're not gonna be reactive. We're going to accept that tomorrow things may look very different. And the old version of me would not have been able to do that because I'd have been in fight flight response immediately. You know, so yeah, I I get it. The demon with the stick is kind of like, and not to put people off, you know, because what are the options? The demon with the sticks already got you if you're in addiction. (laughs) Let's (laughs) face it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You you said it. You know, more resilient, more resourced, um, able to be less reactive, right, and and more observant of. Oh, here's my stories. Here's my narratives. Here's my shadows. And I think also um more compassionate to- towards those parts as well, instead of you know at least that's my goal is like not being so judgmental or um so much of oh i have to I have to get rid of this part you know, i have to I have to get rid of this mm-hmm. this thing within me that's that I don't like, you know to be able to change that to curiosity of like well what is, what is this trying to keep me safe from? Yeah. Right. Cause at at the end of the day, that's, that's the role Mm. of these protector parts. These shadow parts is that at at some point there was safety in that Mm. and being able to, you know, either renegotiate that relationship or say, thank you. And, you know, I'm not a five-year-old kid that needs protection anymore. Mm. You know, thank you thank you for your service and i've got it from here yeah um and being able to alchemize those parts
1: yeah and I, and i think when we find that compassion with ourselves for those parts that's when we can truly find it with other people because mm-hmm. you know once we understand that we are all products of our upbringing and our programming our conditioning our you know the the messages the beliefs the traumas and the wounds of our caregivers and our primary influences through life um and we understand how to start presencing that and and forgiving that and understanding that then then we can recognize it in others even if we don't know what their particular flavor or story is it's just much easier to just hold that space of i'm here and i'm listening you know what do you want to say oh, oh why why do you believe that why do you think that oh let's let's dive into there a little bit more you know um sometimes with words sometimes with breath sometimes with something else completely
0: yeah yeah so um you mentioned that um that your breathwork practice is kind of continuing to evolve and change how how has that changed like in the year since we've we've spoke
1: um i i think I think first and foremost the main thing that is alive for me is is really identifying the power of gentleness um not pushing people to places that they're not ready to go because I as a facilitator might think that they should be able to go there or uh, that if only they could let themselves go there you know this would change and that would change so there's this line between gentle invitation and encouragement and crossing it into like pushing or kind of feeling like you know better than and i think as i become more accustomed to the power of gentleness and and what it can do the the i suppose the implications of integration you know you talk about your work and how important that is but we can't integrate what hasn't been recognized and felt and digested and it takes time and space and and I think a softer approach. So I am more about active listening, more about creating a space, more about honoring when somebody says I'm not ready to go there or I, I, I want to build safety. That's what I want first and foremost, whether it's with one-to-one clients or a group space, I want to build safety, but ironically, I don't use that term in my group spaces. I don't ever say to people whether it is one-to-one or group, this is a safe space, because that's too generalizing. And I don't know whether it's going to be safe to them. And then people can get angry. Well, you said this was safe, and that person started yelling and screaming, that person was swearing, this was this was chaos. I was scared. Even in their own experience of a breathwork session, stuff can come to the surface where they suddenly feel extremely unsafe. So I will frame that beforehand and make sure that people are given as much information as possible to be able to hold and support themselves. I'll make sure that they have the capacity to resource themselves internally and externally. So all of that stuff's come in much more strongly. Um, and it continues to evolve really you know I'm kind of I teach conscious connected breath work, but I think that the there's this there's an importance to the the kind of fundamentals of functional breathing and regulating the nervous system that comes in, and there's also recognizing the great mystery of what can happen in a connected breath work session that goes beyond regulating the breath and the nervous system, but that's where it comes in. The importance of of resource regulation integration etc comes into play as well does that make sense
0: yeah absolutely and it's uh, such a rich subject mm-hmm. um and, and i th- i feel like for a lot of folks that are that have been doing breathwork for a, a period of time um I personally am very grateful to to hear that you know what you're saying because when I look on social media sometimes I see um, you know Jamie uh, Jamie Clements the the Breath Space um, when he was on the podcast recently he referred to it as catharsis porn yeah um, you oh know, my just, gosh. um you know seeing these um, <laughs> you know these these posts and this content of people having these huge cathartic releases. And this is the way that their services are being marketed. And not to say that that doesn't have a space in breathwork and not to say that I haven't had huge cathartic releases multiple times in breathwork, but over time I've learned that it's much more important and, and to slow down and to do it in a safe manner and and everything that you're saying in terms of um, feeling... Having a safe environment and how we facilitate that and how we frame that and then also being resourced, mm. you know, not just, hey, let's throw you into the deep end of the pool with all the waves and the, you know, sharks. And then, you know, after an hour, fish you out, <laughs> you know, like let's, let's start in a much more supported and um, regulated way. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm personally <laughs> very, very grateful to to hear that, and I I love that
1: talk. Yeah, I love, I love that phrase that um, that Jamie's coined there. You know, I, I've had conversations with Jamie about some of this stuff before, and others. You know, because there is, and you we mentioned in the talk before we got online. You know, this exponential growth in breathwork, and that. Visibility of breath work and, and therefore, naturally, it is raising more conversations about ethical practice, safety, and practice. What is safety? Who's responsible for what? How am I going to do this? You know, because ultimately we're, we're adults, you know, so we want m- right. to move away from that kind of nannying state. Everybody is free to have the experiences they're having. And like you, I have gained a huge amount in connected breath work through catharsis. That, but it was um process based it was I was very aware that I was still in my body that I could down regulate up regulate, but the breath was what took me where I needed to go, and it wasn't that I was seeking that or forcing that. I think that's where the issues come in when when you have this, as Jamie calls it breath work not only is it is it promoting all of the kind of cathartic states but then clients are going in with expectations that they will have catharsis, that they're going to escape this body, this life, this day-to-day existence. And for me, any kind of practices like this are there to support us more in coming to terms with the extraordinary ordinariness of our day-to-day existence. You know, that it's like, yeah, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's gnarly. Sometimes it's exquisite. Sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes there's grief or anger or blah, 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 blah. But we have a library that we can understand things through. And we don't go in seeking that kind of escapist version of a reality that I think that's what I see as well being damaging in those kind of it. You know, and there's an, a growing number of them, but parallel to that there's a growing number of people having conversations about good practice and what that means
0: yeah and and the nervous system piece yeah and and I love that you brought up the the ethics space of it as well because you you're right we are going through this exponential growth and there are people that um, in this is my opinion just are not taking the responsibility of taking people into these deeper states um, very seriously, you know, um, personally, like I'm I'm really cautious when somebody is like, Oh, well I could do a, a weekend training and then, you know, hold these big groups and, or, you know, I've heard things from other people where it's like, well, you're just breathing. How, how intense could it be? And I'm like, you obviously haven't done very much breath work if you you feel Mm -hmm. that way, you know, Um, because there is, there is a real responsibility to this. And I would, I would draw a parallel to, um, you know, back in another lifetime, I, I worked in the insurance industry. And so sometimes people would come to me and they'd say, well, I'm paying $500 a year for my insurance now, but this guy over here, he only wants to charge me $480. So or, you know, $200. Um so why why should I stay with you? And I'd say, "Well, you know, insurance is a weird thing. You don't discover how good or bad it is until you need it." Mm-hmm. So like could could I lead a breathwork session after a weekend training? Sure. But am I equipped to support somebody should they start to have a distressful experience? Do I have the capacity to hold the space? Do I have the capacity to support them?
1: Um, Do I know what's even happening? Yeah, right, right,
0: right. So it's like, it's one of those things where you're not going to discover the quality until it's too late, you know, And, and I think that's the real risk of, you know, maybe not taking that training and that experience into, um, into consideration. Um, and it's, I, I agree with you. It's our responsibility as facilitators to really be aware and conscious of these things and, and to be doing our own work. Right.
1: Yeah. And and sometimes it's not even that people are ignoring that people just don't know that. And, you know, and so, so really the responsibility, again, it falls on the trainers because, um, if you have had a lot of exposure to breath work, then you will know about all of those states. And it isn't something to be taken lightly, in my opinion. And, um, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> the, there's a there's a piece that I see where people like you said, well, it's just breathing. So people come along and they maybe they join a couple of one of our sessions online or they go, Oh, I'm going to do this with my friend. Cause I know what I was doing. And I was just opening my mouth, connecting the breath. And this actually happened in my experience. Somebody came to some of my free online Saturday sessions and then offered to do it for a friend and sent me an email and just said, Oh my God, I don't know what happened. Um, this person went into such a huge reaction and the person had had a history of epilepsy and seizures and right. was starting to go towards that part and was really impacted by it for quite a long time afterwards. And of course the, the other person was their friend and felt terrible. And they said, I'm, I know now I understand. I felt really humbled by what had happened, but that could have gone a lot worse because, right. you know, there are real contraindications. There are real ab reactions. There are people who need modified practices for very, very good and serious reasons. And if you go and you do a weekend training, you might skim through those, but you, there's no way you can have a full understanding. Right. It takes time to integrate the materials that we're being taught, you know, and that requires humility and a willingness to be a beginner and to be a student. And, you know, there's, I've just done a TRE training, three modules of that, and I'm about to go into the case studies and everything else. And I had to go back to the beginning of the learning curve and just go, there's stuff in here that I don't know. There's stuff in here that I don't want to take people to until I do know it properly. There's stuff in here that I need to read. There's stuff in here that I need to learn. And and so, you know, I that's why governing bodies kind of, all, albeit in breathwork, they are self-determined governing bodies, but they're there to uphold certain minimum standards of practice, certain minimum amounts of time that people will study. And I have heard some pretty well-known trainers in the field say things like, ah, it only takes 4 days and then you just go out there and you do it and you learn on the job great you know maybe you're a maverick maybe you're a rebel maybe you don't like the authority that you perceive is in you know these structured trainings that take place over a long time or cost more money but ultimately you know who's the person who's going to pay the price for that if somebody's learning on the job it's the client you know and maybe the facilitator of somebody's ask gets sued <laughs> mm-hmm. Or or maybe they're really deeply traumatized by what's happened and feel responsible because they weren't prepared and they didn't know what was happening. Anyway, yeah. that's my rant.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you you bring up some really good uh, some really good points. Um, there are, are serious medical contraindications to doing different types of breath work, and yeah, I, I mean. It's hard to completely disagree with that statement of like, well, you're gonna learn by doing it because there are things that come up, right? That that's that's where you have to learn. But yeah, you you also you also study and go through that to be able to hold those spaces, right? Like, I I guess what's what's coming up for me is is thinking about playing jazz, right? Like when you you might go to a jazz club or see a jazz musician and they're just fully in their flow and creativity and jamming and just completely coming up with these intricate, uh, complex things on the spot. And you might say, well, okay, that's, that's all I have to do is just, you know, (laughs) but there's a, there's an incredible amount of discipline and learning and studying and practicing the fundamentals um, of that art form to be able to get to the place where you can be, so free and you know just so flowing in in that expression Mm. and so in the same way i do think it's really important for us as facilitators to be studying and having that beginner's mind um, like you mentioned you know so that we can practice and and put ourselves through those spaces and therefore you know have more capacity to Mm. uh to to be in the moment when those things do come up
1: mm, nice metaphor yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um i was really i was really uh grateful that when i went through my program with neurodynamic breathwork we studied um the ethics of caring by Kylie taylor
1: oh and that keeps coming into conversations that i'm having at the moment
0: oh it's such a, an amazing book i recommend it to so many people because it's literally a book about um. You know, the ethics of working with people in expanded states of consciousness, which breath work is, which, you know, acupuncture and body work and, you know, EMDR, you know, are, can be, as well as, you know, the obvious of, you know, um, working with psychedelics and plant medicine. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a really helpful book for me. And it's something that I continue to, to recommend and, have it on my list to go back and read again, you know, now that I have a couple of years of, um, facilitation experience, I'm sure it'll be a good reminder and a good refresher because yeah, there's so much, to uh, there's so much to learn there, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that that book is coming to me because I believe that she worked with Stan Groff and came from Mm -hmm. that field of practice, which obviously, you know, his origins were in psychedelics and switched to breath work. So. I'd be very interested to read that and see more, you know, and we that's a huge part of our training. You know, we have we have had historically a trainer who comes in who talks about the ethics of business and business and practice and supervision and the professional side of ethics. And now we're about to bring in another component, which is teaching about the intricacies and the subtleties of consent from a very experienced um, consent trainer who works with Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent. And I think they're really important considerations, you know, because it's like, it helps. I mean, I thought I knew what consent was until I took the um, wheel of consent training, six week training online, which I highly recommend. I was like, Oh my gosh I am a total novice at this you know how is that possible I've had years of experience in kind of sexual freedom advocacy and in that kind of arena and and you know embodied autonomy I've had years of experience in healing and touch based work and all the rest of it and yet still I find myself going wow there is so much that I don't know and I think that's actually important to bring in you know that that in this work that it's really important that students can know that it's okay not to know everything and that it's okay to ask for the support they need and the help they need and to to know also where their limits of knowledge and training are because there's so many people that do that fake it till you make it kind of attitude and then suddenly they're in the spotlight and they're like a, a deer in the headlights because they don't know how to answer a question or they haven't had that knowledge and it's much more appropriate to go slowly and refer out or, yeah, read the books, do the, do the courses.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Having that beginner's mind, having that, um, self-awareness of, of where our limitations are and, and, um, the courage to say, you know what, this is my boundary. Um, this is outside of my realm or I need to ask for help. I need to bring in another facilitator. Um, Mm. or just saying, you know, that's a great question. Let me look into it and get back to you rather than standing up here and pretending like I know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, last time we spoke, um, there was something that, that stood out to me, uh, when I went back and and listened to the conversation and, um, it was around, uh, support sort of after. In the you know how, how people can integrate their experiences and and getting support and how uh, sometimes the best way to support people is to give them the space to kind of discover on their own, not necessarily like giving them the answers and um, you know self uh, cl- so closely guiding them mm. and I thought that that was a really interesting topic um in in the world that we're living in right where um it seems like there are a lot of people that their approach or their marketing is i have the answers for you <laughs> right and i think one thing that we agree on in terms of this work and breath work in in general is that a, my job as a facilitator is not to give you the answers. It's to be there to witness and support you finding your own answers. Um, so I wondered if you could speak a little bit more about, you know, just being willing to sit in that discomfort of finding your own answers. Mm.
1: Yeah there's so much to that question Jonathan because um it's been a really big part of my journey and my learning with two significant teachers um one was through um plant based plant medicine uh exploration and journeying and healing um <laughs> and in an actual experience of that when I didn't get the support that I wanted and didn't get the support that I was crying out for without words, by the way, because I was deeply immersed in this journey. I went, I went into all of the blame and projection and there's nobody there for me and you don't care because I'm this and I'm, and, um, it was really interesting to have to meet that part of myself that had a belief that, oh, somebody doesn't come. Somebody can't see me. Somebody can't meet my needs. I'm not pretty enough or valuable enough or important enough or whatever the enough thing is. And, and, and that person said afterwards, you know, we we could see that you were in that space. And and the most helpful compassionate thing at that point was to let you meet that part so that you could meet that belief. So that was one example. And then the other one was in my shamanic training where a similar thing happened. And I suppose I was uh, deferring my, inner authority to somebody else wanting an answer to something that was within my experience. And and the same can happen in counseling and psychotherapy. You know, a good counselor or a psychotherapist isn't going to tell you and interpret for you what your experience was in that moment. They'd be asking reflective questions like, well, how did you feel about that? What did you come to believe in that situation? Do you think that's a, a true belief? Why? Why do you, you know, and they start opening up. And I think our role, you know, I've done that now in my work, you know, because things do get activated. So and we teach again our students this like healthy boundaries. It's like, okay, how are you going to want people to reach out to you? Are you going to be clear that it's email only, that it's not Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Telegram, X, Y, Z, Instagram? You know, how do you want people to engage with you? Because these days, we've got people in multiple time zones, we've got people with multiple um, desires, needs, whatever, that might drop your message at 11 o'clock at night and think that's okay. And if you haven't responded by eight o'clock in the morning, you don't care. (laughs) And it's like, and we're all regulating our nervous systems, you know, all the time. So I think... sometimes for me when certain I will make it clear I want you to reach me via email and I'm and I actually say this and I may not always reply and you know and I say that on my like when I do my Saturday breaths and I may not always respond and if I don't there's a very good reason for that it could be personal it could be what I'm hearing from you and I might want to say give it a few more days or you know maybe I'll do a very brief response rather than in an in depth one because our job is to help people begin to identify what is happening within them. And if we're giving the answers, they're coming from our experience, they're coming from our assumptions, they're coming from our projections. There's a difference between that and then offering strong, clear, boundary support. You know, it might be, oh, okay, what are you needing here? Actually, that's not within my remit or that's not within what we've agreed for these sessions you know it's not going to be 24 7 ongoing support for example so i think being really clear about boundaries is a gift to people um not a a, you know penalization thing as in well i don't really care i'm just switching off and there may well be people who don't really care and just switch off afterwards by the way you know. (laughs) But it's like, who's it for? I always ask the question, who's it for? Am I meeting my need to be a good facilitator or to be liked or to gain approval? Or am I actually responding to something where I think, no, there is something here that needs attention. And also, you know, it's hard for us as facilitators, because sometimes we have to accept that we cannot fix everything, that we might get things wrong, that we, maybe somebody comes to us and they've got a very serious, uh, this happened again for me quite recently, somebody reached me, although it was on Messenger, with a potentially quite serious request and set of circumstances. But there was just something about the way that it was phrased that was both assumptive about my time, there was no previous relationship there, there was no previous experience of our work together, but they'd just come in and I could hear that this human being was, reaching out and asking for help. My initial thing was, Oh my gosh, I need to, you know, maybe they've seen me on my platforms and I, and I should give a response that's like, you know, pretty in depth and helpful. And then I had to tune in. And I also asked a very trusted friend, like, you know, what would you do in these circumstances? If you, if you received a message that's quite strong, not sharing the content of the message or who it was, but I came to the conclusion that it's like, no, I I don't have to respond to everybody in the world who's suffering either. And in fact, I can't, and it's not healthy to do that. So yeah, there are nuances in all of this. You know, we've already covered quite a lot of them in the ethics. We've covered a lot of them in the catharsis. We've covered a lot of them in what training looks like and the implications for it. And I think none of this is an either or situation it's all nuanced it's all case mm. by case to a great extent isn't it
0: yeah absolutely and and i think i i guess what's coming up for me is like when people are in that space where they're sort of demanding or like they feel like they need that from you um they are kind of in a black and white thinking right there's it's not quite nuanced it's like um, because it's coming from a wounded place mm. that maybe they don't have the awareness of in that moment, it feels very black and white. it feels very binary of like well this is this is the reality of the situation, this is what's happening mm. and so we're able to um and sometimes you know i mean i'm I'm not excluding myself from that, and um there's certainly situations where I've been able to go back and look at things that happened earlier on in life um sometimes earlier on this week you know or (laughs) last year and go oh wow like I was looking at that from a particular narrative that seemed very crystallized and clear and yet now from where I'm standing I can see the nuance in it I can see the complexity and um I guess for me, sometimes that's a really bitter pill to swallow. You know, it's it's not the easiest lesson to learn to to all of a sudden have that realization where the world opens up and that nuance comes, and you're like, "Oh crap, <laughs> I have, you know, haven't quite been looking at this in the right way." Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's just a part of life, right?
1: Yeah, and and we said before, you know, it's like how we hold a compassionate boundary not just yeah. for the other person actually but for ourselves you know yes it's like we're not superhuman we're not yeah. people of endless resource and you know everybody we're walking side by side you know we're holding each other up we're we're giving each other suggestions we're we're there for some people we can't be there for all the people for sure yeah. uh, and you know everybody finds their their kind of frequency, if they like, if you like, you know, they find the person that's right for them. And there might be lots of reasons and they find the time that is right for them. You know, I'm, I'm very respectful of people who are not very respectful, very, um, oh, what's the word appreciative of people who maybe send an email and say, Oh, Hey Steph, you know, I I realize you're probably really busy or, you know, I hope you don't mind, but, you know, this is what I'm sitting with at the moment. Have you got any suggestions? You know, shall I book some sessions? Have you got some space? If you haven't, do you know anywhere else? You know, and I might say, thank you very much for acknowledging that. And I haven't got time at the moment, but here's a great facilitator or here's somebody I recommend or, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and again, it's like that's responsible practice, you know, knowing when I'm at capacity and not just going to keep on taking more and more people because it brings more and more money.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there's something um, I'll probably get this definition wrong, but I've, I've read like, um, you know, boundaries are the space where I can love you while also loving myself. Yeah and so if we don't have those boundaries for ourselves if we're just giving and giving and giving we're not really loving and respecting and honoring ourselves
1: well that was the essence uh, of the the wheel of consent training that I did which was very much about this is my domain this is your domain i am responsible for and accountable for and have a right to the things in my domain just as you do If there's an overlapping bit where you come into a relationship, whether that's personal, professional, or anything else, that's where your agreements live. And that really helped me kind of recognize that I have a right to what's in my domain. I have a right to say, no, I can't do that. No, I'm at capacity. No, I don't want to. And that person has a right to their feelings. What we don't have a right to is to go into blaming, projecting, shaming, you know, kind of blah, 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 blah. But we're all on a journey to some part of that kind of understanding or other. But um, I think it's, it's really helped me as a practitioner and a human and a, and a person in relationship with other people in the world to actually be okay with having boundaries and saying no and being loving about that as well, but clear. And there are some people who will push against one's boundaries and I push against other people's boundaries sometimes too, just to make it real. You know, I'm certainly not sitting in some golden throne where I don't do any of this stuff. I I do. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's something I, I, it's something I wish that sometimes that uh, I had more experience or came easier to me. And I also, you know, have some gentleness, um, for myself that it wasn't, it hasn't been modeled very well, yeah. um, throughout my entire life. And I haven't had the opportunity to practice it very well throughout a lot of my life. And therefore there is some challenge and some discomfort from time to time. And, um, I'm very grateful for the people in my life that are allowing me to practice and. um also to rewrite those narratives because sometimes there's something that I'll say that feels really overwhelming in my body it feels really threatening or scary or unsafe mm-hmm. i guess to come back to the the words that we've been using and then when i say it and the sky doesn't fall in <laughs> or that person doesn't leave me you know to really start to you know freud is rolling in his grave at this point um but you know um it's it's a very transformative experience of, oh, wait, you know, so again, to come back to what we were talking about in the beginning, like, I think a lot of our work is just demonstrating to the nervous system, a new, a new narrative of like, oh, wait, this actually mm. is safe. And there's only so much of that that can be done through talking about it.
1: Mm.
0: It's something that we have to experience. Mm and, um therein lives the rub,
1: right <laughs> yeah, yeah, 'cause it's it's terrifying when we're little, right, the thought yeah. when we don't feel safe and those things are alive, it's terrifying because we don't have the resources, skills, and capacities to take care of ourselves, feed ourselves. Yeah you know, find shelter, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. We're entirely dependent on those who provide that for us. And we're still operating from that place a lot of the time. And so when we can start to come, as you say, and we can recognize that the sky hasn't fallen in and the people haven't left, or maybe some of them do sometimes, but actually we can still go, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we're not that little anymore. My main motive, I mean, I, I'm a runaway, you know, I ran away from home when I was just turned 15 And I had to go back because at that age, I wasn't ready or able to support myself and look after myself. And I ran away at 17 and I never went back. And so, you know, there are times when we really are in that position where we're, um, you know, not able to look after ourselves. And and that kind of primal fear, I just said it, you know, it, it can be terrifying when you're little. Right and to be able to evolve and grow and learn and get support and develop understandings to feel that fear that activates but to be able to really what we're doing is parenting ourselves we're re-parenting ourselves aren't we you said you know we often don't have great templates or models and bless them you know this came up on my saturday breathe it's like when we can find compassion for those people who we think or maybe actually did do us wrong because we recognize that had they been able to do anything different, they would have done, you know, that's just the story. And then we come into acceptance and then we come into forgiveness eventually, you know, and I don't think that that's something that can be rushed. I do think that's a process coming to forgiveness. It's not that pious Christian kind of forgiveness, not to i'm not being uh rude or, or dismissive of you know christianity or any particular religion but m- many aspects of spirituality have been distorted by religion rather than the spiritual aspects of that and and when we're when we're told that you have to forgive everybody um regardless of what's happened we're not having the opportunity to cycle through our true emotions we're not having the opportunity to be authentic in our responses and so I, I do think that this is a journey. It's not, you know, I start here and I go there, and that's where it ends. It's it's a continuum, and it's an evolution, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to basically come back to that place of trust, simplicity, open hearted responsiveness, and and joy in life. You know, what are we here for?
0: <laughs> yeah, beautifully said. And there's also the the nuance you know in, in in that journey right it's not just oh these dis, you know these uncomfortable or you know bad is such a like a subjective label but you know these these horrible things that happened but you know there's also things that i learned from those experiences that helped shape me and helped mm-hmm. bring me into um you know different parts of my life you know and uh, it's it's such a it's such a beautiful, um, exploration of finding the grace Hmm. in your journey, Hmm. you know, of, of alchemizing the things that maybe at one point were so seem so negative, um, or so overwhelming and then finding, finding beauty and finding jewels in that. And, um, I want to be really clear that I'm not trying to uh, endorse bypassing yeah um or you know or on the other hand um validate any traumatic or disturbing experiences that anybody has had um i do really think that it's a personal journey a personal experience and i know when i've been in that place and you know before kind of trying to work through certain things and somebody says, Well, that happened for a reason, or you know, find the find the <laughs> okay. beauty in it. You know, I just want to tell them where they can stick that. Yeah. Um, you know, but it is, it's it's just a it's a personal experience and a personal journey. And there within that journey, there is the nuance. Mm. Um, so I love that we've been able to to touch on that nuance together. <laughs> I'm curious, um what 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 is a good and I know this is gonna be variable, right? Because everybody is a little bit different, but but for somebody that is brand new to breath work, what would you say is like a good um sort of routine or practice to start doing? Maybe on a weekly basis or a daily basis? Um what are what are some good things that people can start to put into their life?
1: Well, I think on a daily basis, it's just becoming breath aware. So it's starting to notice when your breath becomes shallow and, you know, up in the chest and, oh, what's activated me? Am I feeling anxious? When you have less breath, because maybe you've had a terrible night's sleep, maybe you're feeling a bit run down and you can't take a full breath. Maybe you've got into bad habits of breathing with your mouth open and not noticing or, you know, kind of learning how to retrain your breath. And then using some basic practices like, you know, extended exhales or coherence breathing that start to slow down the breathing rate. You know, we take a huge number of breaths every day, most of them not with conscious awareness. So. Sit and set a timer for a minute and count the number of breaths you do just without changing anything. Just count them and then notice. And on average, that will be anywhere between 8 and 18. You know, 18 probably for the people who are much more anxious or much more uh, habituated into rapid breathing. And then see if you can intentionally slow that down as long as it's comfortable. You know, slow down the breath, set a timer again for a minute. Can I get this down from, say, you're at at the higher end of 16 or something? Can I bring this down to 12 breaths a minute? Can I bring it down to 10 breaths a minute? I can quite easily now sit there as I've become used to regulating my breathing and placing a hand on my belly and noticing that my breath is primarily coming from my lower belly and is, you know, expanding on the inhale, and dropping back again on the exhale, knowing that the diaphragm's moving properly. and And this all sounds a bit complex if you just want a basic thing, but you know, it's just like, well, just start by intentionally slowing down your breathing, starting to notice when it becomes rapid, starting to notice how you breathe, what your relationship is like with your breath. Because for me, that's been my game changer. It's not about doing loads and loads of open mouth, connected breathing practices, or attending a session every week or anything like that. It's learning on a day-to-day basis, what the rhythm of my breath is and what impacts it. Because then when I get stressed, I can take a breath and slow down. And actually it's helped me in things like this, or, you know, interview situations. It's like, if I'm talking with somebody, I can feel when they're nervous because of the tenor of their breath. And one great, actually, this is ironic because I've just had a conversation with this gentleman today, but I believe, and I don't know how true this is, that Patrick McEwan was watching, uh, uh, the founder of, you know, uh, Oxygen Advantage and Buteyko Clinic International, was watching a Conor McGregor fight many years ago, like a boxing match, and knew that he wasn't going to win because of his breathing. and. Uh You know, he's doing his interviews <laughs> and he's watching his breathing and it's like, and so many sports people now are coming into greater awareness of the importance of functional breathing as a way to yeah. regulate the nervous system, as a way to bring on board that parasympathetic so that they can still be in there activated sympathetic, which they need to be if they're in combative spaces, but that they're grounded and solid and steady and clear. So they're actually balancing both sides of their nervous system at the same time. And that's what I want to be doing. I want to know that my sympathetic nervous system comes on board when I need it and not because it's accustomed to being constantly in fight, flight, adrenaline, stress responses. So there you go. That's where I'd start. Breath awareness.
0: (laughs) I love it. I'm in full agreement. Uh, Yeah, because our our, a well regulated nervous system is able to have an appropriate response, Mm -hmm. right? If we're in a if we're in a MMA fight like Conor McGregor, we don't want to be. I'm just going to meditate and just (laughs) yeah. Oh, where did that
1: punch come from? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, and on the same, on this, on the flip side, I I don't want to feel like I'm in an MMA fight when I sit down to try to meditate.
1: <laughs> exactly that, yeah,
0: yeah, I I I totally agree, and and I often share this as well with people that I'm working with of like, uh, starting to have more awareness. And the first time I realized, like, I I, I remember very distinctly where I was and what was happening. And all of a sudden feeling like, why do I have the urge right now to breathe through my mouth? That's odd. And just stopping and kind of checking in. Mm. And it was like, it, it was like the, I could, I could, it was almost like the anxiety train was coming and I didn't hear it yet. But because I was able to cue into this feeling of why, why do I feel like breathing through my mouth? I was like, oh, there it comes, you know? and was able to stop and take some deep breaths and really reconnect with with the breath rather than all of a sudden finding myself in this anxious state mm-hmm. um almost similar to that like that clarity that comes from mindfulness meditation where you like that split second before you react to something and you can kind of see the thought forming and you have the ability to say oh i'm just going to watch that go by instead of reacting to it mm.
1: it's
0: a wonderful wonderful thing <laughs> um okay so last question that i have is um so in the you know we talked about my vital point being you have to practice right um my the meditation teacher i've been working with uh the way that he puts it is words don't cook rice <laughs> uh which i think is a funny way to say it but um what would you say is your vital point at this moment in time? Like what's alive to you as the vital point?
1: It's the same, actually. It's, it's practice and, yeah. you know, yeah. nothing changes without practice. We don't get good at things without practicing things. You know, you don't expect mm-hmm. to be a grand concert pianist without sitting down at your piano every day. You don't expect to become great at regulating your nervous system without... Understanding it, working with the things that help support you, learning how to settle it down. And I think practices, realizing actually, yeah, I used to go to a weekend workshop, do an intensive, come away going, oh my God, I'm going to change my whole life. And then all the old patterns would come in by the middle of the week after. And it's like, no, I need to find a way to sit down and breathe. I need to find a way to be still. I need to take some time for self care and I need to identify what that is for me. So, it's both practice, but it's it's coupled with um, self-awareness, you know, do it how you do. I'm not a big journaler, but, you know, I do make notes of, oh, yeah, when I did that, that feels good. I need more of that. This is what brings me joy. This is what makes me feel safe. This is what makes me feel comfortable. This is what lights me up. More of that, please. And the more self-awareness we have, the more self-mastery we can have and the more we practice, the better we get.
0: Well, Steph, um, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Um, Where should people go to um, learn about your offerings or if they want to work with you and join your, you mentioned your Saturday um, breathwork Mm -hmm. sessions. I know you have all kinds of stuff happening.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. The best place is either my website, which is stephmagenta.com or my Instagram, which I'm pretty active on, which is at integrative breath. Um, Maybe you could link those in the show notes. Definitely will. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I have many more platforms. I've got YouTube and LinkedIn <laughs> and we have a breathwork training website which is integrative breathcom But but that's the first place, the first port of call, I think, because those links are all on there then.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I I can I'm I'm grateful that uh Steph has been so gracious with her time once again and can thoroughly and happily endorse um she has wonderful content on social media, lots of um, really instructive and valuable things about using the breath, um, getting into the cold water, (laughs) um, staying active, staying positive, um, bringing in the shamanic elements um, into your life, and really so much more. So I I think if you're not following her, go and do that after you listen to this podcast, for sure.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
0: Yeah. It's been my pleasure. So, Thank you so much. So until next time, my friends, hope you really enjoyed this podcast as much as I've had um, talking with Steph. Um, Leave us a a comment, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And um, don't forget to continue to practice because that's a vital point. See you next time.